Uh, Tom, this week, I'm Tom, happy. Tom, what? let me play you in, okay? Tommy, uh, right, I'm going right. to play you in for the intro, okay? Uh, Tom? Okay. Tommy, the, I'm my mark. I'm my mark. Right. Ready? Go. On uh, this week, I haven't what? seen it. Not on my tempo. Not on my tempo. Do it on my tempo, okay? All right. For three, two. This week on having seen you know it, you're dragging, Tommy. You're you're dragging, or are you rushing? I I think I'm rushing. You're dragging. Whiplash coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today that is Tommy. Tommy's first time playing the drums, baby. Yeah, first time. First time seeing Whiplash, um, you know, I missed this at the time, as apparently a lot of people did. This didn't do great at the box office at the time, but good movie. <laughs> great movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it didn't, like, it, it got its, like, prestige after, like, with the Oscars. I feel like it got, it gained a lot of relevancy, but it did, like, I, this was not a movie I saw in theaters. I saw this, um, my friends and I in college were watching like all the best picture nominees and this mm. one was one of them that we watched and I this would have been a great theater movie I feel like because like you know oh, they would yeah. have amped up the sound and everything like that that's one thing I was noticing when watching this I was like damn I wish I saw something big screen <laughs> yeah so I, I pulled up some notes from the they did an interview with the uh, editor Tom Cross and we'll dive more into it but just discussing like like the inspiration behind the the shots and then how they actually mixed the the drums i got us all covered so we'll yeah. get into that later tommy um but first as always what did you watch this past week uh so i took the trip uh, as my obligation as a us citizen to go see the latest marvel movie and uh i saw guardians of the galaxy 3 um i actually really liked it uh yeah i thought it was a good conclusion to the guardians trilogy i mean like I think that it just shows this is James Gunn just like showing Marvel like, hey, like this is what you're gonna fucking miss. This is like the last time with me. <laughs> you all forget. And you know, I'm excited to see how he brings it to the table of DC because this movie is just like full of heart, like a very tragic backstory for uh, certain characters. I'm not gonna spoil anything, but uh, you know, just shows pretty much the humanity of movie that I've been missing in these movies for a little bit. It doesn't feel manufactured, and like the CGI is actually good. It's not like that black widow uh thing you keep on showing me on twitter uh i haven't shown you that in like two years Tommy. still <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> no uh, i i did not get to see that this weekend um so i wish i maybe was able to because maybe a little more back and forth on it um yeah like i think for me like superhero fatigue fully to That's max di- yeah, it's fully um, set in for you. <laughs> I, you know, it's set in for me since before Endgame, so it's only yeah. gotten worse <laughs> since then. <laughs> um, I think this, um, I'll probably go see Across the Spider Verse because I really liked Into the Spider Verse when it came out. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this I'll go see because I, I really liked the, the Guardians movies. I thought the one and two were both just 
League Above, the other one. I remember you taking me to go see Guardians 1, um, where I was like, oh, I, don't, I, I just like distinctly remember being like, I really don't want to go see this movie. And you're like, no, Tim, yeah. trust me, you're going to like yeah. this one. It's it's actually really good. Yeah. It's not like Thor 2. It's it's actually good. And mm-hmm. I was like, uh, all right, all right, man. Okay. And then I went and I was like, oh, that was actually a really, really good movie. Yeah. Occasionally, I hit with my movie suggestions. <laughs> you hit with your movie suggestions quite a bit, just not yeah. when it's Evil Dead 2013. <laughs> exactly, that's the main one I was thinking of. Uh, just not that one. But that's what I knew you'd hate. So um, there we go. Yeah, you told See, me. I, that I know you will. <laughs> you told me that ahead of time, which is fine. And yeah, so like I, I am curious to see how that trilogy concludes. Um, I think just a great thing about like having movies with like diegetic uh, soundtracks. I mean, that's the strength of Guardians movies, and just like this hits again. I, you know, I already have the fucking playlist for Guardians Three on my uh, Apple Music playlist right now. So some good hits right here, and more modern in some ways too than just seventies hits. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of curious to because I've seen a lot of like clips coming out. I know people the fan reaction has been a lot better than it was for. Ant-Man Quantum Mania or whatever it was called. And yeah, yeah. I'll go see it. I'm gonna go see it. I'm I did it was I didn't realize it was my US obligation to go see it opening weekend. Uh yeah. Um okay. it's what we were supposed to do with every Marvel movie. Um might have missed the memo the last few times. <laughs> I think I've missed all the memos since like Spider-Man and whichever the last way home was. Uh yeah. Whichever way home was the last one. That's the that's the that's the one because I just that's last Marvel movie you watched in no I I saw Doctor Thor Love and Thunder is the last one I saw and I was done done completely just like done that. yeah so well no this one was actually pretty good so I mean like you know it's good um you know Chris Pratt is so great it's just like that James Gunn really has a whole of things and I'm curious to see what he does with DC I mean he apparently just submitted the first draft of the new Superman movie so. I'm curious to see what he can do with that uh, property. Yeah, I am curious too, basically on Superman, because like he's such an iconic superhero. And since the Christopher Reeves Superman movies, there just has not been a good interpretation. Like I know people really like the the Snyderverse, but it's a terrible depiction of of Superman, in in my opinion, because Superman's whole thing is like, I'm a human, but I'm also an alien, and it's like that relationship. And then that one is like, I am better than all the humans. I am a god on this earth. And it's like, oh wow, you you missed the point, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 a whole fucking mess of shit over there. So yeah. uh, I'm glad that James got rebooting it. Yeah, I, I think he'll do a, a fine job with Superman. Um so I actually one movie I saw this week was the notebook. Okay. Uh with Ryan Gosling and uh, Rachel just, McAdams. Just on a Friday night, you just decided, like, oh, let me pop up some beers. Uh, let me get some pizza. Let me watch The Notebook. Is that the vibe? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I 100% watched that alone. Definitely not with somebody telling <laughs> keen <laughs> just, observation skills. I <laughs> just spot fire up right now. <laughs> let me try <laughs> Yeah, just blowing up my spot here on what I do on Friday nights. No, uh, yeah, so I, I watched The Notebook for the first time, and I really, really enjoyed it i i thought it was like pretty good romantic romantic movie it's not really a rom-com no i would call it a rom-com no i would call i think it's one of those movies that i was if it didn't have as powerful of an ending Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if it would have hit as hard as it, it did for like I think that was the best part was like taking all those moments and then having your gut completely punched at the end of that movie yeah that, that's definitely just like a like pull the rug underneath you kind of thing um i mean i saw this movie god like when it came out what 20 years ago at this point we're getting old um yeah my sister made us watch it on like vacation once <laughs> so it was that the context of that i would be curious to see it under new lens now so <laughs> so are we making a ruling that we can cover the notebook especially if it's it's 20th anniversary yeah yeah um what is the 20th anniversary is it june uh i'm not sure i i'll look it up is the notebook 2004 or 2003 um i am pulling it up it's 2004 so it's 19 years 2004 and it's june it is june it is june oh june June 20th we could celebrate for the 39th anniversary or no 20 uh, 19th 19th 19th. 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 19th we're not there yet like Stick to podcasting, not to math, Tommy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My math skills at point. But um, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> rom com of the month, notebook. I will. A romantic movie. So we got a Hitchcock. Or yeah, romantic. Yeah. I guess we got our schedule then figured out. But we got a Hitchcock. We're gonna do. Indiana uh, we got Jones Hitchcock, and Indiana Jones, and the Notebook. And then every other month, I've thrown some Ram Harmon. We're gonna hate. So <laughs> that's how we're gonna make it go. And then I get to pick a movie. Yeah. Some random three-hour epic that I haven't oh. seen before. Babylon? Like, hey, hey, Tommy, it's uh, 4th of July weekend. We're going to be covering um, Avatar 1 and 2, so uh, strap in. Um, this is your. I would make you watch weekends. The Lord of the Rings. Are you kidding? <laughs> well, I've seen those. <laughs> so, now we're going to cover what for me is... A- personally a top 10 movie for me i i love this movie so much this is whiplash all right whiplash five six man i push people beyond what's expected of why would you let him get away with what he did to you because i want to be great i can cut you anytime i want you would have cut me by now try me There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Whiplash, rated R. Now playing select cities, coming soon to a theater near you. Whiplash. Uh, You definitely feel it in this movie uh, Mm. a couple times. Tommy, for you, what did you know about Whiplash going in? And what... How did those expectations unravel during Um, your watch of the movie? Well, first of all, this is a movie always confused with the fucking Drew Barrymore movie, uh, Whip It, about like the Royal Derby girls. They're the exact same movie. Very similar themes. (laughs) Very similar themes right here. So right there going for it. So uh, I'm glad I didn't accidentally watch this tonight. Um, But no, Whiplash, all seriousness. I mean, like I I knew this is a movie about like drumming and like how the ending was like he gave some great performance and jk simmons is very intimidating and abusive and i was like cool uh doesn't sound like a fun hang i'll watch that at some point <laughs> so uh that's why i avoid this movie for a little bit and yeah this movie uh kind of lived those expectations and a way i'd say it's good i mean this is a good movie don't get me wrong but this movie in a lot of ways felt like an anxiety dream especially at some points it feels like kind of like that dream you have of like you show up to some fucking important meeting or interview or something like that and you're not prepared. Um, that's just the vibe that felt throughout. And, you know, 
the J.K. Simmons character felt exactly what I felt he would feel like, which was, made me feel very uncomfortable. For me, this is probably my fifth or sixth time watching Whiplash. Um, so for, for me, I, I always try to find something new. Um, and it was, for me, this time, it was more of an analysis of Andrew Newman, um, played by Miles Teller, who's like the main character. I feel like J.K. Simmons, without question, gives such a all-time villain performance in this and especially yeah. in a movie especially in a movie where you don't you wouldn't expect a, a villain right like where you're like yeah. this guy is a bad bad news you you'd feel like this almost be like a good vibe like movie where it's just like oh all these like band like this kid coming to this new world that's so exciting this is in many ways a coming of age story but just like someone who's taking the wrong lesson from coming of age you know it's it's insane. This movie apparently was originally developed as a psychological thriller, and you can definitely feel it, especially I mean, at the points where J.K. Simmons is screaming at Miles Teller's face. Even before then, just the psychological torment you see this guy through. Um, the interesting part about this movie for me is that I thought it ended about like 30, 40 minutes before it actually did. <laughs> and, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, the point in the movie where he gets to the car accident and then shows up uh, to the fucking uh, theater um, to give the performance later. And, and curses him out. Curses him out, tackles him and everything like that. I thought the movie was going to end right there. And like for a second, I was like, wait, what? I took my, uh, my uh, what's it called? Remote and just saw like, shit, there's like 30, 40 minutes left in this. I definitely felt like if that was like a psychological thriller, it would have gone darker and darker down that path or just ended right there. And to be like, yeah, this guy fucked up his life because of J.K. Simmons. Yeah, he fucked up his life. And for me, like exploring this character more, and especially the relationship between Newman and Fletcher, where, and I think this is kind of the brilliant part of Simmons' performance. He knew that, I think he knew that Andrew had one of the two things, either the talent to be the next Charlie Parker, or at least the mental, the mental, uh, strength to yeah and the determination to be that great but i don't think it's clear exactly which one he saw mm. in him uh which i think is nice it leaves that little like mystery that those little uh overtones there but i i think you know andrew is also just as crazy and leaning into the the beatings i think he feels like if I'm going to be excellent, I'm going to be a part of this world. This is just what's going to happen to you. These are the people that are in this world in a world that's as perfection driven as jazz is. And yeah, for, for me, cause I played jazz all the way through college jazz, you know, I think it gets a rap. It's like, Oh, it's just improvising. It, it is a, it's a discipline uh, jazz. Um, did, did you get slapped? No, it's not. It's never in that kind of environment, thankfully. <laughs> but I'm saying the the music is, and especially like the sheet music, is really yeah. tight. You'll get improv improv during solos, mm. but but it is, and there's different kind styles of jazz. But the kind of jazz they were playing there, incredibly disciplined, uh, incredibly yeah. difficult to to play. 
it, it, it made me realize that like I would never have the fucking drive to do any of this. I mean, like as someone who was playing rock band on Saturday morning, I quit because I, I couldn't get to pass a certain song an expert. I would not be able to be in a fucking jazz band. I mean, at what point, Tim, do you think that you would just like quit the class of J.K. Simmons or just be like, yeah, I'm not influenced? I think day one, the second he shouted, I'd be like, all right, cool, I'm out. I don't care that much about jazz or like whatever. Even if it was like a passion I was really passionate about. So. <laughs> Well, as a trombone player, when he asks if I'm out of tune and calls me Elmer Fudd, that's probably when I would be out. And that whole se- yeah. <laughs> sequence, the uh, Andrew's first day in the studio band, uh, is such a mind fuck, man. The the whole thing. Um, He's tormenting these fucking kids, and like it's shocking. I'm glad they did end up bringing this point of like, you know, hey, like people have been led to suicide like do you want to sue this guy and everything like that because the whole entire time there's almost a nitpicky thing i was thinking where i was like someone would have broken and been like fuck this guy i'm reporting to him the school board or something and i'm shocked it didn't happen earlier in the context of the movie well i think i mean it is a movie it just well exactly that's one of the things that the buy with the movie so i'm able to let it slide but it's one thing like think about this guy i mean this guy also like narrowly avoided like fucking like <laughs> in the Me Too era or whatever, he'd just been canceled immediately, just out there. Like, fuck well, this guy. It's a, I mean, it's a different world. Um, I think, yeah. you know, he uses a lot of homophobic slurs to to insult and berate his um, berate his it, players. He he drops the f bomb a number of times. He's uh, like the menacing kind of like Doctor Cox character. <laughs> yeah, but I I think. And I think it shows the first lesson of where I think, because I was saying before, does does Fletcher think that Newman is talented enough or mentally strong enough for it? Mm-hmm. And I think that first lesson is an example of him thinking that he has the the talent for it, but he needs to know if he's mentally strong enough because it's they're starting their song. Um, I think they're playing Whiplash at this at that point, and one of the trombones is out of is out of tune and he like goes down the line and goes to the fourth trombonist makes him cry calls him elmer mm-hmm. fudd he walks out then he turns to the other guy he goes hey you're the one that's out of tune but you know what if he couldn't if he didn't know he doesn't deserve to be here and it's very impactful and it's it shows that with him you don't know if it's just it's just a game at some point it's a game of determining somebody's mental wherewithal and i uh it builds all the way up to that point with the car accident where andrew forgets his drumsticks at the car rental place has to drive back to get them like five minutes before the show starts gets into an accident shows up as a bloody mess to play on stage because he cannot miss that performance of caravan because then he is taken off the main uh seat in in solo chair and you know flat, yeah. you know there's that great sequence where during the practice of caravan and they have the three drummers just Marathon. going for four well, hours it's trying just... to hit the tempo and it's not even trying to hit the tempo it's just how fast can you hit your symbol well this is a movie uh, more than anything about just like a fucking character that like just like fell for the wrong mentor his mentor is probably like the one the you know one of the things where it's just like yeah, you have to be fucking good. You have to be fucking great. You have to be fucking all this great stuff. And it's like one of those things where he's caught in a fucking um, relationship with J.K. Simmons where he just feels the need that he needs to constantly prove himself to this one guy. And it's never going to be good. He has to always fucking practice. And it is dedication, but at some point, like, 
there's a line I feel like sometimes when it comes to dedication, <laughs> which well, is what. Yes. Yeah, speaking of the line, there's a great bar sequence, and this is after uh, Fletcher is disbarred, and Newman finds him playing in a jazz quartet in a random bar in the West Village, and he goes in, and they have this little scene here. It's a little longer than our usual clips, but I think the whole thing is important in terms of uncovering Fletcher's mindset. Truth is, I don't think people understood what it was I was doing at Schaefer. I wasn't there to conduct. Any fucking moron can wave his arms and keep people in tempo. I was there to push people beyond what's expected of them. I believe that is an absolute necessity. Otherwise, we're depriving the world of the next Louis Armstrong, the next Charlie Parker. I told you that story about how Charlie Parker became Charlie Parker, right? Joe Jones threw a symbol at his head. Exactly. Parker's a young kid, pretty good on the sax, gets up to play at a cutting session, and he fucks it up. And Jones nearly decapitates him for it. And he's laughed off stage. Cries himself to sleep that night. But the next morning, what does he do? He practices. And he practices and he practices with one goal in mind, never to be laughed at again. And a year later, he goes back to the Reno and he steps up on that stage and he plays the best motherfucking solo the world has ever heard. So imagine if Jones had just said, well, that's okay, Charlie. I, that was all right, good job. And Charlie thinks to himself, well, shit, I did do a pretty good job. End of story, no bird. That to me is an absolute tragedy. But that's just what the world wants now. I wonder why jazz is dying. I tell you, man, and every Starbucks jazz album just proves my point, really. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. But is there a line? You know, maybe you go too far and you discourage the next Charlie Parker from ever becoming Charlie Parker. Because the next Charlie Parker would never be discouraged. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, when, when you see this clip, it's just one of those things that just like, it, it sparks a debate of just like, what is the line? What? How far do you want to go? Like, how much are you going to dedicate yourself to this craft? Uh, J.K. Simmons talked about him and um, Damon Chazelle like, wanted to inspire discussion and debate about this movie, and uh, they want he said, J.K. Simmons says, the debate I love is how far is too far? How much is too much? Is it worth it? This kind of relentless abuse might be necessary and appropriate if you're training Navy SEALs, but I know if it's, uh, don't know if it's appropriate in a music school. But it's there, and it can be productive. There's no denying that. From my own perspective, I'd rather have a pretty girlfriend than go work with this guy and have my hands bleed all the time. It would have made a different choice. So it's kind of just like how this character just is an obsession right here. He, um, 
he he just loses his humanity in the process. I feel like when he just become wants to become the perfect drummer, he's like, "Oh, I don't have time for you, my girlfriend. Like, you're cool and all, but you're gonna get yeah, in the way. I, you're gonna get in the way of me, and and you're gonna resent me, and then you're gonna ask me yeah. to not practice as much, and then I'm gonna resent you." And she's like, "I already don't see you a lot." Yeah, and you like, think I'm gonna get in the way of you being good at the drums? She's like, "You're you're just a fucking a, a giant fucking piece of shit asshole." And it's just like. You know, sometimes when you hear about like all these bill, um, you know, billionaires, um, like fucking Zuckerberg, wherever, they all come off of just like these awkward, antisocial, fucking like outcast freaks because just like they just dedicate themselves to their fucking craft, and it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, do you want to be like that, or do you want to have a fucking healthy so- social life? <laughs> yeah, it it is a, a true obsession, and I think it sticks to to Fletcher's point in determining who you know. I think. His goal for for Newman was, and for any drummer he brings in, is can I have the next Charlie Parker? Can I have the next great jazz drummer? And to this point, he has never found that. And Charlie Parker to, was a saxophonist. Well, I know, but he keeps saying Charlie Parker. Um, it was a Buddy Rich as the drummer that they were referring to, but they keep talking about the yeah, yeah. the symbol getting thrown into or the the seat getting thrown at his head yeah yeah i'm aware charlie parker's a saxophonist i just to clarify i was buddy rich want to make sure i got it mr Mr. i played in jazz bands (laughs) i did play in jazz bands but i (laughs) i um what i think for for andrew and you're right in in terms of like the the lack of humanity he has and I think the other thing too is is the ego he has as well. Mm-hmm. Like there's the the great dinner table scene where uh, he's sitting with his family who never really understood why he's chasing this passion. They don't get it, and he's with like his his uncle, his aunt, and their kids who are one's like a a genius scholar, the other is like a quarterback. And you know he starts talking about his accomplishments, and then they cut him off, and then he just rips into both of the kids like pretty ruthlessly being like you're just a d3 quarterback that doesn't mean anything you're going to be forgotten by the end of this by the end of your life you're going to be forgotten nobody's going to remember that you played at some random school and like it that scene in and of itself shows what he wants he wants to be remembered as as one of the greats as one of the jazz legends Mm. and i think it's very interesting in terms of like i think jazz legends they have a they're like 1960 and before i think for for like a yeah, general what? for like a general what? audience in terms of like who are jazz legends they probably learned them in history class like louis armstrong yeah like, like when's the who's like the most recent fucking uh jazz like great superstar herbie hancock maybe herbie hancock's pretty old man uh My, miles davis is fucking old as fuck it's <laughs> 19 19- yeah. I, I'm I, literally this, this is so great. I have two monitors right now because I'm doing the fucking Google right here. But yeah, no, it's just there. Yeah, it's a weird fucking thing to deal, uh, hill to die on for this guy. And and the movie doesn't directly reference it, but I get the perspective from the family is that they almost view jazz as a dead art. Well, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's more so jazz. I don't think they understand that he's doing jazz. They just think like, oh yeah, whatever you're doing your fucking music thing, like cool, whatever, cool, cool job, kid. Like, yeah, when are you gonna get past that? 
you know, sometimes you have people that do end up saying that we're just like, all right, like, you know, what's this bullshit, like side project uh, music you're doing? Why don't you get into your real job? You know, they don't really respect his passion. They don't understand him whatsoever, which kind of, I feel like fuels people in, in a way more so, or it's just almost like now it's a fuck you to um, his family. Fuck you to J.K. Simmons. Hey, I could fucking do this performance. It just almost, he gets in like a self-hatred thing where it's just like, I need to prove everyone in my life wrong. And it's a destructive uh, cycle he's obviously in. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we see there's just a lot of scenes of him uh, practicing. And I pulled some quotes from an interview with the editor of Whiplash, Tom Cross, who won an Academy Award for his for his work. Um, he said, Damien told me that he envisioned it as an action movie first and a musical drama second. He's, Chazelle also said the style of the film should be subjective, and he referenced Taxi Driver, where the editing style represents Andrew's state of mind, nervous and false manic at all time. So I think when you think about the way that it that is shot and the language the the film is telling you, right? Like, wh- where is that uneasiness coming from? It's a lot of really quick cl- cuts, close-ups on face faces. Yeah. It, well... Re- well, like I was saying at the beginning of this pod, like this movie is like just a fucking crazy anxiety dream where it's just constantly the stress where it's just you feel uneasy. You could feel just like Andrew's uh, performance anxiety. I mean, essentially, <laughs> where it's just like, you know, think about the uh, I was thinking about this the whole time I was watching this. So then I probably have like a fucking anxious, nervous breakdown where it's just like you make one wrong move. And this guy's going to scream at me and fucking get in my face, throw a chair at me or something. Like, that. like oh, my God, like I, I <laughs> couldn't handle that myself. But like fucking, uh, you know. To see that one of the shoes of the character was just created a very uneasy, like fucking uncut gems type, like anxiety level of mm-hmm. direction and performance. <laughs> yeah, I think I like those anxiety. Yeah, it's uh, performances it's, movies a lot more than than you do. Mainly because I, like I, I like I don't, I don't experience too too much anxiety. Uh, just generally, no, not yeah. that you don't like them, but for me, like you like really overly gory movies, like. Give me the the, the heebie jeebies. I think like really anxiety driven films can give the heebie jeebies to a lot of people, especially people that deal with a lot of bad anxiety in life. Yeah. Like the way that um, like for you, like like gory horror is just like crunching popcorn, baby. Here we go. Well, well, I mean, I I can handle both both aspects. I mean, like, um, you know, the best thing about horror movies and uh, is that you can experience your anxieties in real life. Where it's just like, all right, cool. Like, I don't, I know what that feels like now. Cool, whatever, act it out. Um, but this is definitely up there in the canon of just like movies that like randomly are psychological thrillers. They wouldn't expect to be psychological thrillers. <laughs> yeah, and you know, another point that that Tom Cross made about the the edit, he said Damien wanted different cutting. Sh- strategies for instance he wanted the music scenes to be like fight scenes violent brutal and ferocious mm-hmm. and his big reference was raging bull fantastic movie by the way i haven't seen he, it. He wanted, I, I tried to rent it on netflix once and uh, sorry <laughs> he, he he wanted to show the opposite of jazz as beautiful gentle music in which the players are in harmony he wanted the viewer to feel the physicality of practicing and playing life or death stakes that he remembered growing up as a competitive jazz drummer and you, you definitely you definitely feel that experience um i know that this movie was a short that was at sundance in 2013 it was a 17 minute short 
Picard. Yeah, Johnny's. It was uh, Johnny Simmons was playing the role of Miles Teller. Did you just call him like Johnny that? Simmons? No, no, look, Johnny Simmons, the actor Johnny Simmons. Oh, Scott, okay. He was in Scott Pilgrim. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. He was in Percy and Wallflower, a movie uh, we covered that I completely I'm... forgot about. <laughs> Yeah, we were not too kind to the perks of being a wallflower, but rega- regardless, yeah. Um, regardless, yeah, J.K. Simmons and uh, Johnny Simmons they did eighteen minutes short uh, debut at Sundance, and that's how he finally got invested for this. <laughs> yeah, that's how we got the money to to get this made, and you know, I I just I think it is a really critical point because when you're watching this movie. Um, the sound and the visuals of the the music are like crucial and i i think a really big nod needs to go to miles teller because he was a rock and roll drummer he had played rock and roll but he had to learn how to learn the style of jazz for drumming and he he is filmed like 99% of the time uh as the drummer it's only like those really close ups of the hands that's when it's somebody else. That's when it's like a, a professional drummer filling in for him. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time, it's it's him. He is doing a lot of the drumming and bringing that physicality to life. And I think those that essence of a performance gets overlooked at times. But I think it's there because you just see like while he like the pain, he's conveying the pain he's in, and he's conveying like the the blood, sweat, and tears that 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 go into this passion it feel it makes the character even more real in my opinion like just on that visual side of things where if he wasn't it like, just shows oh, the intensity and in just like a way that's like mm-hmm. how much this is affecting i mean like especially in that five hour uh practicing versus the competition like face off right there um oh, yeah. at a certain point it, it just shows like the dedication of these characters because it's one of those movies we watch where it's just like i would have quit like probably like 20 minutes in i'm like uh, whatever <laughs> You don't have a passion for jazz, so of course you would have yeah. quit 20 minutes in. I mean, it's like if we had started a movie pa- podcast and didn't have a passion for movies and we did the first episode and it sucked, we would have been like, okay, well, let's never do that again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, what would be the quote for me then? Like the fucking, like <laughs> someone's like, you gotta do a five-hour movie podcast right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, we can do, we could, uh, I could be really mean and make you watch the extended cuts of the Lord of the Rings back to back to back. <laughs> hey, hey, because I've those you those. technically I... have those you technically haven't seen. You've seen no, the regular no, no. edition, but you haven't seen the extended cuts. I'm pretty sure I saw the extended cuts. Oh, so you've only seen the extended cuts? You've never seen the the actual never. edits of the movie? No. Sorry. <laughs> you, you, you just pull that fucking <laughs> it's like, yeah, like you you like movies, you're really passionate about it. Here's fucking Lord of the Rings. Try that ass. <laughs> Viewers can't um, see me dancing right now because now Tommy can make some obscene horror suggestion and I can follow it up with being like Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, I've only seen those movies once. and um... You've only seen the extended editions. You didn't see the theatrical cuts, which I do believe are better. I think a lot of the cuts in the extended edition. The extended edition is <laughs> you just, only you for just die such hard a fans. Fucking nerd oh yeah! Oh oh hell yeah, baby! Oh hell yeah! Oh yeah! Um, I mean, I'm looking right now at like uh, Miles Teller's this fucking uh, filmography. It's kind of shocking to me. Like I've always felt like he's done more movies than he has, but like he really had like a low period for a while. I mean, like you know, he did this obviously, and then like 
he had two clunkers in like the Divergent movies and fucking the Fantastic Four. That... I think the Fantastic Four tanked his stock for a while. Yeah, yeah, for a while. It's like because after that he had War Dogs, which nobody really remembers. And I'm looking at movies right now. Only the Brave, thank you for your service. Like what? Top Gun Maverick resurrected his fucking career. <laughs> oh yeah, he became a list instantly. And I remember, like after this, because um, what he had like Project X, he had some other like little indie drama thing. Well, Project Rick- X was years before this. Yeah. No, I know. No, I know that. I'm just saying, like, the yeah, first yeah. thing I remember him being in, because I don't have his Wikipedia page pulled up right now with his filmography. But then he was in some other indie, you know, of the time. Like, that awkward moment or something. Yeah. He had, he had the Divergent series, which, like, I think everyone's kind of forgotten about. You hear, like, the Divergent series, like, canceled the fourth movie and tried to make it a TV movie instead. And they're like, wait, no, let's just can, can it. <laughs> I, I literally didn't. I could, you couldn't have told me that the Divergent series was a, a series of films. I would have just been exactly I would have been, I would are, have been shocked that these existed. These are movies that don't exist, essentially. I mean, like, so it's just shocking because, like, he gives a great performance in this movie, and like, you would have figured he got a little more thunder, but I guess just playing Reed Richards just like is a curse. Because who, who happened to the other guy? No one knows about that guy anymore. <laughs> well, Adam Driver is supposedly playing Reed Richards in the, the new one, so. We'll see. Yeah. We'll but, see. Well, there's so many rumors. Like, there's some like subreddit I follow on Marvel where like every day it's a new person where it's just like Mila Kudos might play the thing. And I'm like, oh, I saw that. I saw that. And I was <laughs> like, okay, I mean, I'm here for it. Because uh, I'd, I'd hear for the Twitter comments being outraged about it. The be Twitter so comments would be, I, I would be like, okay, you gotta, like, I feel like Disney and Marvel have always been pretty good at, like, respecting the fans um, and not, like, fucking with them. And I feel like casting Mila Kunis or a woman as the thing would be a pretty big way of doing that. Yeah. You know? So... But okay, let's not let's not talk about well, it. It's it, not going to come but, out for three years. Well, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's funny because like if anyone, I mean, I'm moving ahead here, but like the star movie obviously is fucking J.K. Simmons. I mean, the amount of clout he got, I felt like automatically from the Oscar. Once play it now. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm playing the sign. I am a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. Tommy, you already mentioned him. But who is the star of Whiplash? Uh, yeah, it's fucking J.K. Simmons, and he takes it away. Um, there's no other person who could say. I mean, like he won the Oscar from this movie. I mean, like he got to do um, Terminator Genesis off of this. He got to do uh, Justice League off of this. You know, fucking terrible movies, but still, he's a guy that like pops up constantly before and after this movie. He's just gonna be a constant presence, and like he just delivered like pretty much. The greatest performance of his career, like, role he's meant to play. I mean, like, he's known, he's done similar roles in comedic fashion before, but I think Damon Giselle just unlocked the greatest potential of J.K. Simmons here. Yeah, I think the focus on his character, I think making him a true villain, like when I think of him as like Jane Jonas Jameson in the Marvel movies, like he's like a light antagonist to Spider-Man that's kind of like a joke from the, the comics in the 60s, you know, but he's not like a, a serious antagonist. Um, yeah, and, and it's like it's way more comedic in tone when he's on the screen in those movies. Where this, there's nothing funny about this this movie or his performance. It is truly terrifying. the The moment you see him, and there's something about like the the physicality that he has, like just this s- slow walking, this polished look to him, like from his 
completely bald head that seems to be squeaky, shiny, clean. Yeah, he fucking down to the all black t-shirt and pants. It's it's It's, a total. Yeah, it's a total thing where like the second he walks in the room, you're fucking intimidated. You're just like, all right, cool. I guess I'm right into this. Like you would just immediately be like, how can I not fuck up around this guy? (laughs) And and you see it too, and all the players that he that he plays with, like when he walks into a rehearsal session. All the players divert their eyes from him. They don't even want to look at him. Like they're all petrified of this man. They are all terrified of his wrath of what he can do to somebody. Um, and I think he is a. It's a great example of manipulation, right? Because what he wants to get out of somebody is one of the greatest performances of all time. And most people are just not cut out to it, which leads to the great ending. I know we're, we kind of skipped ahead to a different section here, but we how can yeah. we not talk about the ending? I mean, yeah, it's, it's we got to talk about J.K. Simmons, obviously. So, like, the, you have to mention he's a star, obviously. Uh, the ending, I think, was up for interpretation. Um, I think the most subtle thing about this and the thing that is the most open for interpretation in this whole movie is Paul Reiser's fucking face. And I didn't know Paul Reiser was in this movie. Great seeing him, um, but. Seeing his face, just like watching his um, kid play, and just like great, give that great performance. And you, I couldn't tell if the look in his eye was, "Oh my god, I understand it now," or something like that, or, "Oh my god, my son has lost his mind." What is he doing? I think it's, I think it's the the latter of what you said. I think it's, yeah, he lost his mind because, like, he's hearing this amazing performance here, but he is so. The father is so terrified of Simmons that mm-hmm. that he and he can't really see what's going on on the stage where, you know, so Simmons gets fired from the, the college, but he forms his own band for this jazz competition in the during the summer. He invites yeah. Andrew to be a drummer and then he pulls the carpet out from under him, doesn't tell him the song that they're going to play. And he, you know, he fails completely, falls on his head. But he walks right on back out there. He realizes that his career is over. The, there's only one thing that he can do to save his career, and that is to give the greatest performance of his lifetime. And he starts it off with Caravan and then goes into an ins- an insane solo that gives me goosebumps. It's you know, you know how you said that, like you paused it at that moment, and you're like, oh wow there's like 40 minutes left in the movie like the last 15 minutes of this movie are, are a drum solo essentially yeah oh no i mean it was it's great seeing that but i mean like so i i i just think that's what's great about this because you know in one way it gives you goosebumps like oh this is a great performance but in a certain way it's just like am i supposed to feel fucking happy for this character that gave us great performance or am i supposed to think oh my god this character it got set up to let um went off the ledge He's never gonna have a normal life. He's never gonna have a human connection in his life. This is it for him. He's just gonna be fucking J.K. Simmons' his fucking drummer boy, essentially. And that's I, how I interpret it in a way because I, I feel like I, it kind I, of felt, it was kind of grim. I interpreted it as he knew it was his last chance to ever have a foot in the door in this world, and he just gave, he just botched his performance, and then he gave himself life with that and the look in Simmons eyes uh when he realized what was going on and that in that performance and in contrast with uh the father's look in his eyes it's complete two completely different looks and he does 
not understand. And I love how it just ends at the end of the song. You don't hear the reaction from the audience, which is what you want to hear. You want to hear like a standing ovation, like you're craving that almost. And then it's just left to your imagination. It's left to your interpretation because for such a formal world that something like jazz is, especially in a competition, something that atypical is shocking. So you don't know, like, will this land him a, a slot in the Carnegie Hall, uh, in the Carnegie Hall jazz band? Will this get him in the blue note? Will this get him well, into a studio? What, what what I like about this movie is how it ends there. It's, I, it's, I think, a really interesting point in this whole story because it's literally just the beginning of his life. You know, literally he could go home to his dad start a career as like a fucking med school student like the other guy in the drum band and then just like you know not worry about jk simmons probably have less anxiety in his fucking life and less depression or he could stay in and have this career possibly end up like that uh player that jk simmons was talking about that was amazing to end up killing himself because of the abuse that jk simmons gave him and anxiety and you know that mental shit just sticks with you um so it's just a, a weird, interesting crossroads. And it would, this would have been like if there's a hokey movie, like, you know, would have had him like getting like joining the fucking Philharmonic for Fla- fucking flowers, or something like that. Flowers thrown at his feet at the end of the performance or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's that ambiguity of, well, what's what's next? Like you almost you're craving mm-hmm. that you're craving more of the movie. And that's what makes that ending so powerful and so impactful. Yeah, yeah, like obviously it would ruin it, but like you almost would want to see a sequel of just being like, what happened next? But obviously that would make the movie awful. So, <laughs> ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. So, Tommy, would would Whiplash work as a Muppet adaptation? Um, yeah, the fucking I, I forgot about this uh, segment for a second, but yeah, fucking you just put Animal on the drums. It's just Animal trying to be Miles Teller. And Jake my Simmons, tempo, waka waka, and he's like, ah, tempo, tempo, tempo. <laughs> just that one scene, just that one scene of the not then, my tempo. Then, no, no, no. Then he fucking tackles J.K. Simmons. Animal fucking tackles J.K. Simmons and fucking tries attacking him. And J.K. Simmons is suddenly like mauled by goddamn animal. <laughs> that would be that would be pretty hilarious. Not gonna lie. Uh, Anyway, that will never happen. A Muppet adaptation of Whiplash, and I think for good reason. Uh, so, Tommy, review time. Give me your score to five. Um, this is a crazy movie. Um, like I said, an anxiety dream, but something that um, this was a great watch. Um, J.K. Simmons was just very intimidating, very menacing, just very just hit like certain nerves. Um, and I think that this was end up being like a surprise psychological thriller in some ways, and. I do like how uh, Damon Giselle just like pretty much just made like the ending up for interpretation. I think the writing of this was perfect. Music was obviously amazing. Editing also was great. Really just brought you inside the anxiety. Um, I'm going to go like 4.5 out of 5. So, As I said before, this is a, a 5 out of 5 for me. Uh, top 10 for me. Uh, I think for me, the power of this movie might come down to to the timing of when I saw it and making me realize that like there's more to movies outside of just what hollywood releases um you know like yeah is indie phase but just like you know more not prestige dramas but just more that there's more life to movies than just 
big blockbusters over and over again. Um, I think, you know, the, the music's fantastic. The performances are terrific. The editing top notch um, and just the, the feeling, the, the anxiety that crawls over your skin. It, it really makes you think and it makes you, makes you, makes you uneasy. And I, I love that feeling from this movie. Five out of five. Highly, highly recommend if you have not seen it. And that's Whiplash. Tommy, any final thoughts before we wrap this episode up? Uh, we need to come up with a list of best anxiety dream movies. Um, so, But anyways, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. You can uh, follow us on social media at SeenItPod. Uh, that's on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and TikTok. And leave us a five-star review. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you know, we have a great uh, week coming up next. We're going to be covering uh, Fear Lily in Las Vegas, a movie I've never seen. Timmy, have I've you ever ne- seen? I don't think I've ever seen it, no. I've seen like yeah. parts of it, but I've never seen it all the way through. Never seen it all the way through. It's brain. I think it's uh, got 25th anniversary. 25th Jesus. anniversary. Yeah, and uh, we're going to have a returning guest upstairs, Steve, because he's on for our 90s episodes, So uh, apparently. But yeah, it'll be a great time. So uh, His 90, our, 90, our 90s episodes when he decides that he wants to be on one of our 90s episodes. Yeah, yeah. So we have a resident occasional 90s expert <laughs> enough sir steve so anyways listen subscribe follow us on social media thank you guys thank you guys all so much for listening we will see you next week welcome to the podcast that wouldn't die i'm your host kevin with me as always is aaron what up what up well, each week we'll explore the classics of the horror and sci-fi genre with a little comedic twist We will ask those important questions like why don't they get out of a haunted house the first time they see the ghost or the demon? Why do people feel like, hey, there's been a spooky disappearance, but I'm going to investigate myself, even though I have no investigative background? Or why didn't I realize I was dead the whole time? These important questions and many others we will get to the bottom of. So check us out each week at the podcast that wouldn't die. Be there or be square.